You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Welcome to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. I'm your co-host, Brandon Ware, here with my lovely other half, Dr. Jess. Hey, hey, how's it going? I'm great. How are you? Feeling good. You know, today we are going to be talking about infidelity and moving forward after cheating or an affair. And I don't even know if I love the language of infidelity and cheating. I would agree with you, but tell me why you don't like it. I, I don't know. It feels like it is the ultimate relationship transgression. And I I guess it's accurate. Listen, I guess we're getting into semantics, how you interpret language. But cheating just feels like such a dirty word. And let, let me be clear. It's not that it's something that's socially acceptable. It's not something that I'm suggesting people should do. But I don't know. There's just so much stigma. It's dripping in shame and stigma. And I do think it makes it difficult for people to move forward from cheating if you have cheated on a partner and you're trying to just live as a decent human being and be a better version of yourself or if you have been cheated on i think the stigma in which it is draped makes it challenging for people to move forward you know in the past we've talked about the fact that there are so many ways in which you can hurt your partner there are so many means through which you can cause harm to a relationship and we've talked about that feeling hurt is a universal experience alongside feelings of of being let down, of feeling alone, and even feeling betrayed at times. And I guess because we live in this world that touts monogamy as the gold standard of relationships, we've placed sexual cheating at the top of what I always call the transgression hierarchy, right? Many people view cheating as the worst possible thing you can do to your partner, uh, perhaps with the exception of, of being abusive. And we've made it into this almost insurmountable beast that can't be conquered and that I think it makes it difficult to move through. I would agree with you. I think I would have a very hard time getting over it. I think I'm invested pretty heavily into this relationship that I think that I would still very much want to proceed, but there'd be a lot I'd have to digest. The idea that maybe somebody's lied to you, somebody has betrayed you, somebody has done something, um, probably not with the express intent to hurt you, but drastically, but they have. That's a hard thing to say to your partner in a monogamous relationship, that if you cheated on me, I'd still work on this. Because I I remember thinking that many, many years ago and probably saying it to you. And there's this fear that by acknowledging that, by showing that vulnerability, that I'm almost giving you permission. But the flip side to me is that if you love me and you don't want to hurt me, just because I'd be willing to work through something doesn't mean you'd want to take the bull by the horns and say, like, let's just go do this. I mean, I would let you punch me in the face. I don't want you to, right? I'm not giving you permission to sock me in the nose. Ever? Or just not right now? Just not right now. No, I'm not. It's not a, it's not a thing right now. Yeah, no, I guess I guess that's a, that's a fair analogy. And... When we think about cheating, it's very common. So some research, if we look at aggregates of research findings, the suggestion is that about one quarter or 24% of us has cheated. And I would suggest that the number in reality is is likely higher because it's it's difficult to even be honest with ourselves, let alone be honest with, with researchers. But the reality is 
Relationships survive and thrive despite cheating, and whether or not someone has cheated isn't necessarily an accurate measure of your relationship quality or fulfillment. You can be in a relationship in which no one has ever cheated and be miserable. And you can be in a relationship in which you've both cheated in the past, maybe you've worked through the causes and effects, and now be living with deep fulfillment. So we've talked about monogamy in the past and the challenges that it presents for many people, and especially strict or toxic monogamy in particular. So we're not going to get into that now. Instead, we're going to delve into a real life story of how you can move on and move through cheating. Joining us today to share his story of how he worked through an affair in his marriage is our listener, George. So you've been listening to the podcast. You wrote in with your story. I really think it can help people. I think that you know that it is often worth pushing through the difficult times. But let's start at the beginning. Tell us about how you first met your wife. Uh, we met at college. I think like a lot of married couples do, they meet in the places where they're, they, they tend to congregate, right? Uh, church, school, things like that. And uh, we met at school. Uh, we hit it off. Uh, we went out on our first date and started dating. We were having fun together as, uh, you know, dating and I knew within a couple of weeks that we were going to get married. That was sort of the trajectory that my life was on. And, you know, we had, I had two loving parents with a family. You kind of want to emulate that. And uh, that's what I saw for us. That was the, the way our life was going to go. And so in the early marriage, what was the relationship like? You know, we didn't have much, um, both out of college and, uh, you know, we didn't have a lot of money or anything like that. So we, we, we made the most of uh, having fun in the ways that we could uh, early on in our marriage. And, uh, you know, it wasn't perfect, but it wasn't bad uh, necessarily. In, in retrospect, I, I, I know that I was, you know, delaying the onset of adulthood, you know, at every opportunity that I could. But the real cruelty of life is you have to live it forward and learn it in reverse. And I know that now, but I didn't understand that then. So it was... Um, it was, it was good. We had fun. That was a young married couple having fun. It was the best we could do. And when you say you were delaying adulthood, what does that mean? Um, you know, I, I didn't give much thought to responsibility. I didn't give much, uh, I didn't take very good care of myself. You know, I, I drank more than I should have. And, uh, you know, I might've smoked cigarettes and, and just, I didn't, I didn't think that there was any future, you know, I lived for the day. Adulthood, I think, you know, being a responsible human being involves recognizing that the future will be here sooner rather than later, and you should prepare for it and be responsible in, in, in accounting for what is going to happen in your life. And, you know, f for me, that meant, you know, watching football games on Sundays and drinking beer. You know, that was about all I did besides go to work. And you said that three years into your marriage, everything changed. It did. Um, my wife had a good job, and um, she was probably uh, attracted to the, the person that she cheated on me with because he was a, a man. He was an adult, a responsible human being. Again, I, I see that now. I only came to that conclusion probably when I wrote you that email. That I was thinking it through as I was writing it. Maybe that was the case, but um, yeah, she told me that she had uh, cheated on me, and she also outlined 
how she had lied and used deception to accommodate doing so. And that was, that was devastating to me. It really was. Everything that I thought I knew about the world evaporated in those moments. You think you know the way life is, and then you turn around and it's all different and it doesn't resemble anything it was before. How did you find out that she had been cheating on you? She told me. Um, she, we were, again, uh, delaying adulthood. I was drinking with a bunch of buddies and she had joined me. Um, she went outside for a smoke. She didn't come back in after a while. And I went outside to see if she was okay. And she told me, she says, I have something to tell you. And she outlined who she was with and when. And um, my immediate response, I'm not proud of this, uh, but my immediate thought was anger. And I, I really did want to hit her. It's embarrassing. It's, you know, I, I can't help that that's what I felt. But I did. I, I, you know, I didn't hit her, but that's what, the, what I wanted to do. She had taken something from me, and the only thing I could come back with was anger, violence. That was my immediate reaction. But I drove her home. Uh, I left the house. I called my, my dad, and he came and picked me up. I mean, here I am, near 30 years old, and I'm calling my father to pick me up from something an adult would have been able to handle on his own, or at least understand on his own. And it was it was a really, it was a really tough time. So you said you called your dad. What came after that? Uh, I stayed in a spare bedroom in my parents' house for 48 hours with the lights off. I didn't eat. I didn't come out. I didn't talk. None of it. I just stayed there in a cave feeling sorry for myself and, and, and really, you know, questioning everything, every choice that I'd made up to that point and wondering how it all, you know, how this all happened this way. Like I said, my, I thought my life was one thing and then it was completely upended in just a few moments. And that is a, a profound thing to have happen to somebody. And when you say you were angry, were you angry at your wife? Were you angry at yourself? Was it a combination of the two? Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I was angry at my wife for, I think the obvious reasons. Uh, I was angry at myself for, maybe allowing that to happen, to accommodate something like that, to, to be the type of person that was not worth staying faithful to, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And do you know what she was going through at the time? Well, in those 48 hours, no, we didn't speak. Um, I, I know that she stayed home and, and you know, didn't go out. It wasn't like she was out partying and she wasn't with this other man that I'm aware of. At least she never... Uh, indicated that she was after I'd asked her. Um, I, 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 I believe that she was hurting or at least upset that she had caused or helped cause this, you know, type of pain in my life. I, I believe that, but I don't know that I wasn't there. I, I honestly, I, I abandoned her in, in that time. And I don't think I would have been very useful to her anyway. And what came next after that 48 hours? I, I remember having sort of a moment of clarity. I, I walked out of the room, took a shower and changed clothes. I told my dad, it's time to go home. I, I can't run away from this forever. And uh, he took me home. And it was, you know, a cold, rainy, you know, post-Christmas, pre-New Year's time. And... Uh, 
I, I, I went home and I saw my wife. She was there. George, you say that your family was aware of what was happening. Um, were they supportive of you? Like, what did what did, did they say anything to you? Or was it just unconditional? Come, stay, do whatever you need to do, and go. Nothing was really said or exchanged. Um, they obviously they they knew because I told them the reason. I you can't show up at your parents' house and you know disheveled saying you need to stay here and you can't ask why. I told them what was happening. I was very honest with them. I've always been honest with my parents um, about everything in my life, even even now at you know at my age. I'm in my forties now. Um, but they showed unconditional support for, for myself. And I, I believe for, for my wife, you know, they were not aware of what our life was like together that either of us would have been unhappy with, you know, they can live our lives. So they gave us our freedom uh, to be ourselves. And I don't think they ever judged her. Uh, they may have judged me a little bit, you know, but, um, they know, I don't think they ever judged her, you know, even today, they, they love my wife very much. You know, uh, they love my wife then they love her now, uh, even with the things that have happened between us. And, but they were incredibly supportive and they didn't ever try and live my life for me. I think a lot of people, when they find out that their partner is cheated, especially if you're in a long-term relationship, like a marriage, they internalize it and they keep it all to themselves because they're worried about the stigma and the shame. Are you glad that you went straight to your parents who love and support you? Yes. Yeah, ab absolutely. And I shared the story with my best friend as well. And um, they, they all understood it's a difficult thing and they couldn't live my life for me, but they could certainly be there to hear me cry. They could be there to listen to me talk about the things I was feeling. And I, you may gather this just from speaking with me today. I have a hard time shutting up, you know, so, um, <laughs> it's, it, it was good to know that I had those relationships in my life as a backdrop, you know, no man is an Island. No family is an Island. We all have, we need a, a support group around us and friends, family, neighbors, community. It's, it's, it's what makes us human. And I was very lucky to have that in, a, in what has been, or yeah, to this point, been the most difficult time in my life. So tell us how you worked through this difficult time. My wife had been in counseling um, for, for some time, maybe a couple of years at that point. Uh, she has dealt with trauma in her life. I'd, I'd prefer not to get into, um, but it was, it was serious enough for her to have issues that she needed to resolve in her adult life. And, um, immediately as soon as, um, you know, the, the, the next non-holiday day rolled around, we sought out her counselor. We told her what had happened and she was unable to help us. That wasn't what some, she was not qualified, capable, willing, I don't know, to take on, uh, that type of marriage counseling, that relationship counseling that we needed. So she referred us to another um, practitioner and and that person in a few months and over the course of the last, you know, 15 years has helped save our marriage and and, and our, our lives in certain ways. Um, we, we sought counseling. It was very difficult. I, I won't lie. It is not an easy thing to do. Forget looking outwardly at the things that maybe someone has done to you. You know, what my wife had, quote, done to me. But looking inwardly at 
the things that I was doing um, to facilitate that, to be the, to not be the type of partner that would, you know, allow or accommodate that. Like I think I said before, you know, it's, you don't want to be somebody who's not worth being faithful to. And I'm in some ways, I think I, I get that now again, through the prism of history. What did you learn about yourself through therapy? What did I learn about myself through therapy? That's a great question. Um, and I don't know if I learned it even while I was in therapy, but, you know, getting older and wiser you know, opened me up to the things that I, I learned in the past. Uh, I, I realized, you know, I was avoiding the responsibility of being uh, an adult. I was just delayed onset adulthood. I think men in this country, maybe, I don't know, it could be the same way in, in Canada or across the world. I don't know. They don't really grow up until something forces them to grow up. A lot of people join the military and that helps them grow up. A lot of people have kids and that helps them grow up. Some people have you know, marital infidelity that highlights their their shortcomings as a partner and that forces them to make different choices about what their future will look like. And counseling, you know, helped me with that. They helped us learn how to communicate better. Our, our, our counselor was great and she taught us, a, you know, a, a mirrored style of communication where we say something, you know, she would reflect it back at me and I would reflect that back at her. And I don't know what that was called. I can't remember, but it was incredibly effective. And if there's something that we, we learned that if something's bothering us, if there's something that needs to happen, if something needs to be done, we have to talk about it. We can't just avoid it and, and we'll grow to resent one another. And that can happen. And, and, and I think relationships, people just stop communicating or don't communicate effectively. And it's much like any other skill. You can learn to communicate if you want to. And that was, I mean, we absolutely learned how to do that through counseling and, and learning to, to, to speak to one another about everything, not just the things that make us, make us feel comfortable, but you know, just communicating, period, about everything. You know, counseling is a space where you're meant to feel safe, but that doesn't always mean you feel comfortable. And you said that it was hard. Uh, were some of these sessions really emotionally heart-wrenching? Can you tell us a little bit about the process? Um, it, yeah. So it was about an hour that we would be in the office. And, uh, you know, the counselor would start off with, how are you feeling today? How are you feeling right now? She wouldn't worry about what's happened in the last week. She wouldn't worry about what was going to happen in the next week until we saw her again. But what's happening right now? What are you feeling? And we would feel that. We would say the things that we were feeling. And uh, I, would, I would tell her, you know, I'm feeling okay today. You know, we, we talked about, you know, these things, uh, X, Y, and Z, between last session and this session. And today I feel good. And I'm, I'm ready, to, ready to open up further about how I feel hurt and how I may have hurt her and, and, and things like that. And, you know, my memory of specifics is lacking. I can only remember the feelings of being there. I could even still recall the office furniture. It's so crazy to say that now. What our counselor said to us is lost to, you know, being you know, old and enfeebled at this point. But um, I, I just remember those feelings of, you know, we can talk here and we can talk about, 
things when we leave here. We can talk about things, you know, anytime, as long as we're being honest with each other. And um, we, we learned that in, in counseling. I, I learned that my wife's history of trauma was more severe than I had uh, been led to understand, that she had issues in her developmental past that influenced some of her behavior and her self-worth. Um, you know, she has, she had you know, body issues. Uh, she had trauma in her past that I was, I wasn't, I was aware of, but the severity, the depth of it, uh, was unknown to me and, and how that would affect her behavior, uh, moving forward. She, she always, always, I think a lot of women have problems with body issues. You know, she didn't feel attractive, um, and that kept us distant physically. I mean, that was, um, something that was, that has been a problem in and out of our relationship, you know, ever since we got married before marriage, it wasn't an issue after marriage, it became an issue. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it, there was hearing her recount stories of past trauma was extremely difficult because this is the, you know, the woman I love and you want to protect her and I can't protect her from the things that happened to her in the past. And I, I couldn't protect her from what was going to happen to her in the future. I could only just be there for her. And I'm not sure that I was in, in important ways that counseling helped me recognize. How did you move forward from those bursts early on where you felt betrayed? Like when you were just really angry about what had happened, even though you were trying to move forward, like what strategies did you employ to overcome those feelings? I would, I would talk to her. I would tell her that you know, I'm just not okay right now. I, I, it could be just something as cooking dinner. You'd, you'd hear a song come on the radio or, you know, she would wear an article of clothing that I recognized or something, you know, it, anything could trigger me and I'd, I, I couldn't isolate it. And I would feel overwhelmed with anger and hurt and betrayal. And I would just look at her and I would tell her that this is what I'm feeling. It's happening right now. And I'm not okay. And sometimes I would be overwhelmed with those feelings and I would be okay. I could handle it. That was a few, that was some time later on. You know, I would find myself uh, crying, just not uncontrollably, just overwhelmed with emotion. And sometimes I could handle it and sometimes I couldn't. And if I was at work and I was struggling, I would call her and tell her that I was struggling. And she would just talk to me and just listen. And, you know, she would apologize. I'm sorry that this is happening to you. I'm sorry that we're going through this. I'm sure she apologized. I'm sorry that I did this to you. Um, although I don't recall ex specifically that ever being said, but I'm sure she did. You know, again, we're going back many years at this point. Um, and then it would come and go uh, a little less frequently, just like I think a lot of pain, you know, the, the loss of a loved one or something like that. Initially, it's so overwhelming. And then those waves crash on the shore a little bit less and a little bit less. And then every now and again, it's the occasional storm. And, and now uh, when I think of it, uh, I do get angry, but it doesn't, it doesn't cause a ripple in the, in the water, so to speak. When you talk about getting angry, do you find that that anger also leads to acknowledging other emotions like the sadness or betrayal or loneliness or letdown? Or uh, did you find that therapy helped you to kind of uncover those other feelings that are probably beneath the anger? 
Maybe, uh, most likely. Um, betrayal was the anger and betrayal were almost inseparable, I believe, for a long time. I, I don't know if I could have distinguished them. But sadness, you know, hurt, you know, being lied to is, that's a rough go. That is, that's, that takes, that takes a lot of time for that to heal to a certain point. I don't know that it has. Um, I remember, uh, you know, we were both trying to quit smoking after this all happened. And we were out, you know, a couple months later anyway, with friends or something. And my wife indicated she was going to go have a cigarette. And I said, well, I don't, I don't think that's okay. And, you know, I was looking for a way to trust her again. And here she was, you know, she couldn't keep up this one promise of not smoking even for a couple of months. And I remember that just bringing it all back, that betrayal and anger came back immediately. And then it was sadness. I thought sadness again. So there, those things were all layered together. And uh, I, I, I'm sure counseling helped me work through how to tease them out, how to separate one from the other. Is this making you sad? Is this making you angry? And I'm sure the answer to that is yes. Um, but it only comes through the, 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 the prism of time. It, you know, you have to live through it, which is a really challenging thing to do. But if it weren't for our, our counselor teaching me how to talk about those things, how to understand what I was feeling, that it was justified, and uh, that it's, it's okay to, to, to love someone that you're angry with. You know, you, you guys have been married. I don't know how long you've been married. I assume you get angry with one another periodically. All the time. Um, right. Um, <laughs> yeah, occasionally. <laughs> Sometimes it happens. Once uh, a month, I'm very angry. Yeah. Well, and I mean, that's just me. Sure. <laughs> um, so it's it's okay, you know, keep being taught that it's okay to be angry and that it, you know, we don't have to live, uh, you know, this was pre-social media boom, I guess. We don't have to live an Instagram, Pinterest lifestyle where everybody believes us to be perfect. You know, it's okay to get angry and upset and be mad especially with what we were going through. We could be mad with each other. We could be angry with you. We could be upset. We could feel betrayed. We could feel isolated. We could feel let down. Sometimes I think we need to be taught that. I, I was, again, I, I had a fairly idyllic childhood. My parents, I can probably remember on one hand, the number of times they really had an argument in all the years I lived with them. And um, that's a testament to them because, you know, as a, Having a family of my own now, I, I want to blow my stack every 15 minutes. So, um, But your kids just aren't as well-behaved as you were, right? Uh, uh, no. My, my kids are so much better than me, it's not even worth discussing. So, But, but counseling teaches us that, how to, to, to work through those emotions and to talk through those emotions. You've got to communicate it. You've got to communicate with each other. And so how does the process of forgiving your partner come into play? That's a great question. I, I have no idea. I haven't been able to do that, and I'm not sure that I ever will. Um, I heard recently, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts, but I heard on another podcast that may be helpful, um, that if you are cheated on, if you are betrayed that way, maybe withhold that forgiveness because that gives the person who cheated on you both those things. They get to cheat on you and have that affair, and then they get the forgiveness. What, what does that leave me with? I, I, I haven't forgiven her for that um, because certainly telling me um, was, was very hurtful. You know, I, I don't know if she did it to specifically to hurt me, but she 
she could have done this without ever doing it again and without ever telling me. And I think I would have been fine with that. The other side to that is I'm not sure I ever would have made the changes um, that I made in my life and we made in our relationship without the knowing. But as far as forgiveness goes, I'm not sure that I have. Um, and I, I certainly haven't forgotten. I haven't forgiven. But I, I also don't know that I have to. Um, I'm not sure that that's a requisite for living a happy life together. But it doesn't sound to me like you're holding that forgiveness over her head. You're, you may not, you said that you may not have given it to her, but at the same time, it doesn't sound like you're dangling it over saying, I'm not forgiving you. It's just something that you've accepted. Something that you have to, I came to realize this on my own. And this isn't, this is a conclusion I drew in the absence of counseling to the subject is that if you do want your relationship to continue, and if you do want your relationship to be a loving, caring, intimate relationship, to hold the things that you've done in the past, marital infidelity or some type of other transgression, you can't hold that over the other person's head if they have tried to make amends for that behavior or whatever that is. So I hate to pat myself on the back or whatever, but I don't think I ever threw that back in her face. I may have had when I got liquored up one night and shouldn't have, I don't know, but I don't feel like uh, that I ever hung the the carrot. I never dangled the carrot of forgiveness in front of her, and I never, you know, held her hostage to infidelity. I don't believe I did. She may say something completely different, but I'm pretty. I feel good about not saying that. About saying that. So yeah, you don't dangle it. Don't tease somebody with that. That's a really cruel thing to do. Now. You decided to work through this and stay together, and not everybody does. They find out about about cheating and they throw their hands up and leave. Tell me, so many years later, you've been together almost twenty years now. Where are you now in the relationship? What is your relationship like? It's actually uh, not that different from our the early years of our marriage. Um, we have fun together. We um, we raise our family together. We try and participate in our kids' lives together. We, we make dedicated time for each other. Um, you know, we're, we're busy. We have three kids, so that, that takes up the bulk of our time. But um, we read together. Um, we take walks together. We, we do as much together as we can, and we always make sure that we get a date night here and there. And uh, we, we participate in the lives of our, our, our friends, family, and our community. And it's, it's very rewarding. We're in, we're in the, the, I don't know, maybe the golden years, the salad years. I don't know what the hell you call them, but. <laughs> salad, salad years. I like some salad. <laughs> is, it like a, is it like Cobb salad years or is it like yeah, you know, it, just an arugula salad? You know, I, I eat mostly meat. So uh, <laughs> it's <laughs> like a taco salad would be best for me. I don't know. But uh, it's, we're in a good spot in our lives and we have good kids and good friends and good neighbors. And our, our relationship now is, is, is strong. You know, uh, it's, it's the same. She left about 15 minutes ago, so um, you could ask her yourself, but it's, it's not perfect. And, you know, we still see our counselor once a year, every two years, check in, you know, make sure we're not doing anything stupid, not driving each other crazy. And we give each other enough space and we give each other enough time together, I think. Um, you know, I, I certainly hope so. I'm not living through uh, that again. You know, I, I, I want to 
I want to continue a, a happy life with my wife and not have to deal with counseling every week. That seems, that seems rough. Well, I think uh, for some people, they go to counseling just to check in, but you were going through something very difficult when you went to counseling. And I think uh, listeners are probably wondering what made you decide to stay? Because I think some people do decide to throw in the towel, whether it's because they can't get over the hurt, they don't want to work through it, or simply the stigma of staying with someone who has cheated. I never cared about the stigma of staying with, with my wife um, because I didn't care. I I. I've lived my life in, in such a way that I, I don't give too much thought to what other people think. Um, so that was never, that never factored into my decision. And what really made it clear to me was that she wanted to continue our relationship and I wanted to continue our relationship. And we both decided it was worth doing the work to make that happen. There was a moment though early on in this process within a couple weeks where um, she disappeared uh, from when we were out in a function, we went to something fun to do in the city shortly after it happened that we had committed to long before and she disappeared and she was sitting on a park bench smoking a cigarette and uh, I asked her what was wrong. And she says, I don't know if I love you or not. And I left. I, I just went home. I left her there on the park bench. And um, I, I just couldn't handle that feeling. Like, why am I going through, putting myself through this if she doesn't know if she loves me or not? And she got home and we talked a little bit more. And what, what, it, what came out of it was, how could she do something like that to me if she loved me? And that isolated it for me there. It's like, well, then we've got to decide if you love me enough to keep working at this. And she said she did. And that was it. The choice was clear. The outcome had already been laid. We just had to do the legwork at that point. So um, that, that was it. We wanted to make it work. We wanted to stay together. We didn't want to, to go our separate ways. We didn't want to throw in the towel. We decided very quickly. And I think your instincts serve, serve you here. We decided very quickly that um, there wasn't anything worth giving up on. I think you're you're fortunate to have not felt the pressure of social stigma, and I hope that more people can learn from your experience. If there's something that you want other people to know, because you decided to share your story, you know, not for glory, but to help other people, what what insight would you leave other people with? I would suggest that. People going through infidelity, marital or otherwise, you know, relationship infidelity is not, you know, strictly a, a marriage thing, right? There's at every level where you have a committed relationship, infidelity is, you know, something people could be up against, I guess. You don't worry about what the, the stigma behind it is. That honestly, until the until you said that, I had never even considered it. Uh, that was what other people thought, my parents and, and my friends that understood and knew. I never once considered their what was what their response or reaction would be. Um, just if your if your instincts uh, tell you that the relationship is worth saving, then follow that instinct to its its logical conclusion. Because you know that logical conclusion could take you to counseling, like it did for us, or it could 
just take you to a place where you communicate until you resolve the issues that underline the infidelity. Or it could lead you to the conclusion that the relationship is not worth pursuing. But follow that instinct uh, wherever it leads, because no one can know that besides the, the, the participants in the relationship. Follow that. Follow, you know, I hate to say something as cliche as follow your heart. Is that, ugh, just saying that makes me <laughs> nauseous. But, um, you know, you're, maybe you're, follow, follow your instincts. That may be the best way to say that. And you have to put in the work because this journey to a happy place, when you wrote to me, you said that you're you're in such a good place in your relationship now that you think you need to pinch yourself. So, But that took work <laughs> and effort to get Absolutely. There. Yeah, no, um, uh, you know, you're, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that, and I'm glad you brought it up again. It's not, an, you know, it is not a work-free enterprise. This It doesn't just happen. Nothing just happens. You have to, to make it happen if, if you want. You've got to work for it. And, um, if, if it's worth working for, then it's going to be difficult. There's nothing easy about it to live your life in a, a, you know, inside that bubble of, of counseling where you're the things you've done wrong or could potentially do wrong or, or have gotten right are laid bare. That's a, that's a very vulnerable place to be. And it's a lot of work, but if it's worth doing, then, then, then go do it. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I think folks are going to learn a lot from it. And I think we should thank the people in your life who didn't create that type of stigma because I think there is so much pressure. And when you share with a friend or share with a family member, I think they're so inclined to tell you what to do, to give you advice, to slam the other person, to judge the other person. And I think you found yourself in a fortunate situation where, as you said, your family wasn't judging. So thanks for sharing, George. We very much appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. I believe there is so much value in hearing other people's stories and vulnerable stories because vulnerability is this universal experience and, you know, feeling alone or feeling betrayed or feeling embarrassed or feeling ashamed these are all universal emotions, but they're they're difficult to not only talk about and share, but I feel they're difficult to even admit to ourselves, right? That's why we feel angry and sad before we feel some of these other vulnerable emotions. Shame in particular is one that really intensifies in private. And me, I've been dealing with feelings of shame around something this morning. So something somebody said about me online that cut at me that actually isn't true, but there are parts of it that, oh, just stab in the right spot. And I'm angry and I'm frustrated. and I'm, you know, very solution driven, trying to find like, wh what should I do about this? But really what I need to do is deal with that feeling of shame. I'm really working on how to work through these feelings. And I, I don't have all the answers. So I, I really appreciate George's willingness to share. And, and I hope that, you know, Everyone listening will consider doing the same, not not necessarily share on the podcast, but if there's a feeling or an experience that is eating at you, I hope that you find a source of support, a listening ear, someone that you can share with a loved one, a trusted confidant, a therapist or a counselor. And if you do want to share your story here, of course, please reach out. We have a podcast form on the website, sexwithdrjess.com. Yeah, I thought his story was really, really interesting. I'm... It was raw to me. There was a lot of 
vulnerability there. And I, I applaud him. I mean, very introspective, uh, you know, reflected very deeply on what happened, what he and they needed to move forward in the relationship, that he valued the relationship enough to see the, the, the worth not only then, but also in the future and to let go. I really like his ability to not focus on what other people thought was a really powerful message for me. Yeah, that, me too. That's really brave because I am always concerned around, uh, about what people around me are thinking, too much so. And I've talked about that on the podcast before. I had a therapist come on and try to shrink me a little. In fact, I need it again. <laughs> uh, I had Dr. Amy Harwick. I'd love to have her again because she's whip smart. Uh, and we have a lot in common, not because she's whip smart. <laughs> I was she, like, that's great. <laughs> you know, she actually wrote uh, The New Sex Bible for Women, which is a companion book of the book that I wrote, The New Sex Bible. So I think we're overdue for that. So I, Brandon, thank you. Thank you to George. Thank you for listening. Wherever you're at, I hope you have the opportunity to be vulnerable this week and have the support you need to work through all the more difficult emotions. You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life.